right, we certainly want to welcome you to, to East Bay this morning. It's a privilege for me to be able to, uh, to open God's Word. Before we do that, um, I do want to draw your attention, if you could, if you could take the, uh, there's a connection card hopefully in the pew in front of you, and just take a moment to, to fill that out if you happen to be watching um, on, online with us, if you would just uh, take, the, uh, take the minute to hit the connect card just to let us know if you're, you're being with us. The, also, the other thing that I do want to mention this morning is we will be taking communion. So hopefully you saw the elements as you came in um, this morning. If you did not, um, certainly would encourage you to go ahead and, and, and avail yourself to those in the back. And uh, if you're at home, um, if you want to go ahead and get some elements. So at the end of the service this morning, we'll be observing the Lord's, the Lord's Supper. Um, I do want to say just a word of thanks. Some of you have, I have been praying for, for me from um, the foot surgery that I had. I just want to say thank you for that. I'm still doing some, some physical therapy, but uh, appreciate very much your, your prayers. Uh, well, this week, of course, I think Pastor Conover mentioned last week that he was going to be, um, be on vacation this week and next. And so, again, it's a privilege for me to be able to open God's words. Let's pray, and then uh, we're going to do that, all right? Father, thank you for the time we have to be able to, to be with one another Thank you, Father, for being here with us. Lord, we pray that as we, we spend this time together, Father, that you would allow your spirit to move, to speak, to help us to understand your word, Lord, to convict us, to encourage us, to do the work that you want to do. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to do a word association as we get started here this morning, and uh, you don't need to say anything out, out loud, but just think, so what kind of words, ideas come to your mind when I say words like this? Faithful. What kind of words come to mind? Faithful. How about this one? How about loving? How about patient? How about wrathful? Um, my guess is the first three words, probably something positive comes to mind. Maybe when we get to that last word, wrathful, um, you know, did a negative idea or thought come to mind? Uh, possibly. What I want to talk about today is, is an aspect of God's ca character maybe you haven't thought a whole lot about, maybe you haven't even heard a message about in the past, but that is God's holy wrath. God's holy wrath. You know, I think sometimes we, we feel like we need to make an apology for this quality when it comes to God, but hopefully this morning we're going to make a case that, that, you, that, that you don't need to do that. Let me ask this question. Ha have you ever been treated unfairly? Have you ever desired revenge? Now, don't answer this one. Have you ever desired revenge for that one who treated you unfairly? Um, have you ever wanted to see justice for the person who wronged you? You know, I think all of us have this innate sense within us that wrongs need to be made right, that there should be justice. I heard, heard a, a story of, of some rebels who came into a village in, in Africa and in the process of, of taking over that village, they, they made the father of this family watch as his wife was raped, as his children were murdered in front of him. And, and you can just imagine, I mean, how would you respond to cruelty like that? To, that, to that kind of anger, to that kind of evil? I mean, certainly we're horrified by that, and, and we should be angry by that, and we would demand justice, right? And that's only right. The challenge with God's wrath comes when we do wrong. We don't want to be held accountable. When somebody else does wrong, we want them to be held accountable, right? But, but when it comes to us, we don't like that. You know, some people teach that God is a God of, of love, 
He's not a God of wrath. And these people want us to believe that in the end, God's love wins out and everybody's forgiven and everybody goes to heaven. But the question we ask is, what about justice? I don't think any of us would be okay to live in a world where wrongs aren't made right. Where, where for example, where a child molester and a rapist are just set free and, and where a guy who abuses his wife isn't held accountable or, or a mass murderer who, who kills innocent women and children, right, just for the thrill of it, isn't punished. And praise God, the reality is we don't live in a world that's like that. And that is where the wrath of a holy God comes in. Now, just as we get started here, I want to give you a definition of what we're talking about when we talk about wrath. Wrath is a deep, intense anger and indignation. A deep, intense anger and indignation. Now, I think we have this idea, we understand anger, but what about indignation? Well, this is a definition of indignation. It's a righteous anger aroused by injustice and wickedness. Now, the question we could ask then, well, is this true of the God of the Scriptures? Is our God a God of wrath? And if you have a Bible and want to take and turn to Nahum chapter 1, it's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. He prophesied after the exile of the northern kingdoms. And the passage we're going to read, Nahum chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, is a passage that speaks about God's judgment against the, uh, the city of Nineveh. If you remember, it was the Assyrian uh, Empire. Uh, Nahum chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. It'll also be up on the screen. But it says, The Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. And then jumping to verse 6, it says, Who can stand within his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. Verse 7 says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. So you notice in verse 7 it says that God is good to those who trust him. But it says that he's terrible to those who do not. Now, Lest you think this is just an Old Testament thing, I'm going to have you turn in, uh, in your Bibles to the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. It says there, God is just. <clears throat> he will not pay back trouble, or he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you, and will give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I mean, we can see from Scripture that God indeed is a God who, um, who gives wrath. And we see this throughout Scripture, the whole idea of divine retribution. And now, what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning, then, is, is to describe what does God's wrath look like. And the first one we're going to talk about is, is, is God's wrath based on his justice. His wrath based on his justice. So when we think about people who are angry, you know, what kind of pictures come to mind? Maybe it's some of the stuff that we're seeing on, on television more recently, but people out of control, 
people who are ir irrational or, or maybe scenes, uh, scenes of, of angry mobs. But I want to assure you, God's wrath is not like that. God's wrath is always righteous. He is always in control. God is only angry when it is right and necessary in reaction to moral evil. And I could ask this question, I mean, would a God who did not react adversely to evil even be morally perfect? You know, some would suggest that, that God is a cruel master to inflict any punishment, but is that true? God's wrath is always judicial. That is, it is the wrath of a judge administering judgment. Now, cruelty, cruelty is always immoral, and cruelty is the idea of, of someone who's who's being treated harshly, because they, but they don't deserve it. God's judgment is perfect. It's always in accord with what each person has done. Paul says it this way in, in Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. He says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are, are self-seeking and, and reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Scriptures tell us God is a God of justice. And as creator of all and the king of the universe, he gives each one what is appropriate for them. The job, the job of, a, of a judge is to enforce the law. For example... When you violate the law, you are found guilty, and, and a just judge then would give you the appropriate sentence according to what you've done. So let's say a, a guy, and this guy goes into a movie theater, and he, and he randomly kills 15 people. He's, he's caught, he's found guilty of murder. You would expect that that judge would mete out a sentence that's appropriate for the crime. I mean, what would you think of a judge who says, somebody murders 15 people and says, you know, I think maybe, how about a $200 fine and, and, a, and a month of community service? None of us would be okay with that. Why? Because, and we'd be outraged by that because we would feel like the penalty is not appropriate to the crime. You would say that the judge was unjust because he was too lenient. And likewise, as, as a just judge, God not only must declare the lawbreaker guilty, but he has to hand out a punishment that's appropriate for the crime. I mean, what would you say if a man is found guilty of driving 10 miles over the speed limit and, and he goes before the judge and the judge says, 20, 20 years in jail? Again, we would say that's not right, that's unjust. Why? Because not is it too lenient, but now that's, that's way too severe. When there is a crime, we demand justice. Where someone has been judged guilty, especially of a terrible crime, we demand justice justice because it is right to punish sin. And when a grievous crime has been, commi been committed, we want the punishment to match the crime. God must judge sin. He cannot judge that which is wrong and then do nothing about it. For God to do that would be unjust and would be unholy. And the punishment that God expresses then is his wrath. Now, as sinners, we all stand in the courtroom of God. And he says, you have been found guilty. <clears throat> you have committed a crime against an infinitely holy God. None of us has kept God's law perfectly. 
And what's an appropriate punishment? What is the punishment that you and I deserve? It's to face God's holy wrath. Now, question. So what's the right length of punishment for a crime that we have committed against an eternally perfect God? I don't know if you ever thought about that or not. But because of the, the eternal distance between God and human sinners, the sinner has committed an infinite, eternal offense and must face this punishment eternally. For God to come up with a sentence that's less than eternal would say that he is less than eternal. The eternality of punishment is simply a realistic assessment of the never-ending vastness of the difference between us and God. Now, I know we have a hard time with this. We have a hard time with this as a culture, and, and we don't like to believe that we are really all that bad. But do you realize that the distance between us and, say, the worst person that you can think of, Hitler, is, is a lot closer than the best of us would be close to a holy God? Now, we don't like to think in those terms, but that's what the Scriptures teach. God's judicial wrath is something that people choose for themselves. I mean, the act of judgment upon the lost is something they put upon themselves by rejecting the light that comes to God through Christ. Now, we're familiar with John 3.16. So John 3.16, and listen to what it says following. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but look, he sent his Son to save the world through him. And in verse 18, whoever believes in Christ is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And you remember I said we all are standing in the judgment room. It says this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The essence of God's action in wrath is to give men what they choose. And in doing so, his judgment is just. Um, you remember when, when God brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, and he, and he brought them through the wilderness, and he brought them to the edge of the promised land, and they sent the spies in, and they came back out, and they said, it's got giants, we can't do it. And they rebelled against God, and in their unbelief, they said, there's no way we can do this, right? And they said, if only we had died in the wilderness. And you know what? God said, if that's what you choose, I'm going to let you have that. God gave them what they chose. And that's true of all men who experience God's wrath. God's wrath is his resolute action in punishing sin. God's wrath is his reaction to our sin. It is what we deserved because all of us have fallen short. All of us are sinners. Now, that's the wrath of God based on his justice. What I want to spend a little bit of time here is, is taking a look at the wrath of God based on his holiness. Why does God respond that way? Because he is a holy God. The holiness of God is the quality of being set apart. It's of being completely unlike anyone or anything else. In Habakkuk 1.3, it says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. God's holiness means that he is perfect in every way. He is totally pure. He always does what is right. Sin and God's holiness are totally incompatible. Sin cannot exist 
in the presence of a holy God. And in some way, all of our sin is a violation against the holiness of God. We are created in the image of the holy God, and we're committed in scriptures to be holy even as I am holy. And yet, with every sin, we choose our way instead of God's ways. With every sin, we make light of God's holiness. You know, and oftentimes, we don't see, you know, our sin as being all that big of a deal. And we really don't, because we really don't understand how amazing the holiness of God is. This is a, a, an author, a Christian author, Tim Challies. Tim Challies um, says this, I'm quoting from him. He says, our sin is not just a mistake or to mess up. To sin against God is to willfully declare independence from your creator, to declare that we want God to be dethroned, to declare that we want to be God in his place, to commit treason, treason against the God of the universe, to declare war with, him, with God himself. To sin is to reject the goodness of God, to indict the character of God, to despise the holiness of God. To sin is to look God full in the face and say, I hate you. It is to turn your back on all of God's love and patience and kindness and mercy and grace. It is to file with sin a being created in God's image. It is to be deliberately unholy in the face of God's holiness. Is that how you see your sin against God? Perhaps it's because we don't realize how holy God really is. You know, at times we read the Old Testament and we think to ourselves, why is God so cruel to those people in the Old Testament? Can I suggest to you, if we really understood the holiness of God when we read the Old Testament, we would probably be asking this question, why does God show mercy to any of us? Why doesn't God just wipe all of us out? You remember when, when Isaiah the prophet came into the presence of, of our holy God in Isaiah 6? You remember his response? He says, woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people who are unclean. My eyes have seen the Lord God Almighty. Now some respond, well, well since God is a God of love, why can't he just overlook our sin and, and just forgive everybody? I mean, Think about that for a minute. What, what would be some res other responses that, that God could possibly have instead of wrath? Well, he, he could laugh when we get hurt. I mean, he could have joy when someone steals from us. He, he, he could have ambivalence when, when someone is abused because he doesn't care. But the reality is God can't respond that way. He can't act that way because that would be a violation of his character, of who he is. And we don't want God to be like that, do we? Why? Because sin is worth hating. Sin is worth punishing. Our very nature cries out for justice. We all have this innate sense, this inherent sense of right and wrong because we have a conscience. All people have a sense that wrongs need to be punished. In Romans 1.18, the scriptures tell us that God has revealed his wrath against the wickedness of of men. And then in verse 32, this is Paul's indictment against us. He says, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they approve of those who practice them. This verse tells us that they have an inherent sense of what God wants them to do, and, and even though they know that he says he will, he will punish those who disobey, it says, yet they do it anyway. 
See, the reality is we don't want God to overlook sin unless it's our sin. But as we've already said, God cannot do that because he is a holy God. Some might ask, well, if, if we deserve God's wrath, then why haven't we as sinners already been judged and condemned? And the only reason that's true is that even though God is perfectly holy, he does not always bring his immediate wrath. Sometimes God chooses to give patient mercy. Patient mercy. Um, Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 3, 9. He says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is long-suffering or patient with us, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Understand that mercy is not injustice. It is God choosing to not bring his justice immediately, or we could say it's delayed justice. You know, sometimes we have a hard time with, with God and suffering. And, and so we may say something like this, I can't believe in God because if he is there and he is good, then he would eradicate all evil and all suffering. But think about it. Just because God hasn't judged all evil yet doesn't mean that he's not going to. You can think about it like this. If God judged all evil right now, who would be left? Who would be left? So we've seen that, that God is a God of wrath because of his justice and his holiness. And some of you might be sitting here thinking, why in the world did I come to church today to hear this message? Well, I want to tell you there is amazingly good news. Because how is it that sinners can be saved from the wrath of God. And this is the dilemma. See, the dilemma is this. How is it possible for a holy God to have a relationship with unholy people and be restored without some gross act of injustice? How is that possible? And I want to share with you that is possible because of the cross. At the cross, we see God's holiness, his justice, and his love all collide. Christianity is unlike any other religion of the world. You know, other religions of the world have gods who display wrath. And, and people have to do something to make sacrifices or to appease these gods. But you know what Christianity teaches? Christianity teaches that we are helpless and hopelessly lost. There is absolutely nothing we can do to appease God's wrath. God's holy standard is perfection, and no matter how good you and I try to be, we will never, ever make that standard. No matter how much we sacrifice, we will never achieve the standard of holiness that God des des desires or, or demands. And at the cross, we see how God values his holiness. He will not violate even his own holiness in order to save ones he loves. And one thing that you and I need to understand about the character of God is he will never, ever violate his character qualities at the expense of another. He is holy God, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Every character quality of his is holy. He is holy love and holy justice and holy merciful and holy in his wrath, all of these things. And at the cross, we see God's love and the ultimate display of wrath collide. Now, what does God's judgment require for our rebellion against God? It already, we've already said it. It requires judgment. And it was at the cross that God himself paid the price of God's wrath. 
Our sin's judgment was death, both physical and spiritual. That is separation for God for all of eternity. And so I could ask this question, what kind of a God would humble himself enough to take the wrath that you and I deserved when he had never done anything wrong when he was perfect in every way? I mean, what kind of a God would love his creation so much that he would rather be tortured, would rather be ridiculed, mistreated, put to death than to live without his creatures? What kind of a God is like that? You know what his name is? A God like that, that's Jesus. That is Jesus. He never did anything wrong. He is the perfect son of God, and yet what? He came, he humbled himself. He took on flesh. He came to earth. He lived the life that we should have lived, and as one who was completely innocent, he allowed himself to become the atoning sacrifice in our place. Now, 1 John 2, 2 says it this way. He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, I just want to stop here for just a minute. What does this idea of atoning sacrifice, what does that mean? Atonement means that Jesus' death in our place turns aside God's wrath from us. Why? Because it was placed on Jesus. And that is why Christ cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ was forsaken so you and I could be accepted. He became vile and detestable in God's eyes as God poured out the full measure of his wrath upon him. And as a result, God's justice is satisfied, the penalty for sin is paid, and his wrath was completely absorbed by Jesus' death for those who believe. And understand this, Jesus was not forced to go to the cross. He voluntarily went. In John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says it this way. He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. This was not some cosmic child abuse, as some people say. Jesus willingly came and gave himself for you and for me. And why did he do that? Why did Jesus willingly take the just wrath of a holy God? He did it because he loves you. It's because he loves each one of you. He did it so that the justice of God could be fulfilled, the wrath of God satisfied, and the holiness of God maintained. I'll say that again. Jesus went to the cross so that the justice of God was fulfilled, the wrath of God satisfied, and the holiness of God maintained. And then Jesus rose again from the dead to prove that his life forever was sufficient for you and me. And now because of Jesus' death, the person who repents of their sin and trusts in the person and the work of Jesus can be justified. That is, they can be forgiven and they can be declared righteous by God. Romans 3, 23, we're familiar with that. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the verse goes on and it says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ and presented Christ as, here's our word, as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. There's a story that's told of a, of a man who, who goes out of town, and, and so he has somebody who takes the care of his affairs while he's out of town. 
And this man says to him, he says, hey, the, there's a bill collector who came by, and, and he told me that you, know, that you had this debt that you owed, and so don't worry about it, I took care of it. Now, now my question is, is this. H how do you think that the man who's out of town would respond to that when he heard it? We know the reality is it all depends, right? I mean, it depends. I mean, if he owes a dollar because it's postage due, well, that's like, well, hey, thanks. But let's say that he, he was delinquent in his taxes and he owed a quarter of a million dollars and this guy took care of it for him, right? I mean, his response would probably be a little bit different than that, wouldn't you think? And so the amount of debt that is paid is the thing that makes all the difference. And what I want us to see today by looking at and understanding God's wrath and the judgment that we are under because of our sin is that apart from Christ, we are under this wrath, this judgment. There was nothing that we could do about the sentence that was upon us. We were all guilty. We all deserved this. We would all be left then in pain, in torment, in hell for all of eternity forever. That was the debt that was due. And what happened? God paid that debt for us in Christ. I mean, do you understand why, uh, why it's so important for us to understand God's wrath? I mean, if we don't understand, have a proper understanding of his wrath, it will call us to not appreciate the salvation that we have in the extent of God's love for us. You know, it's been said that you can't really appreciate how good the news the good news is until you realize how bad news the bad news is, right? And that is certainly true when it comes to this. Understanding the extent of God's wrath that was justly against us and the holiness of God should amplify how much we love God and the love that was displayed to us on the cross. I mean, if we ignore God's wrath, it will remove the urgency for us to share the good news of the gospel. If we ignore God's wrath, it may cause us to have a disregard towards sin. God took sin so seriously that Jesus Christ, his one and only son, was crucified on the cross because of it. We also need to remember God's wrath so that we have a true fear in our souls of God. Now we're in a book, if we've been in the book of Hebrews, towards the end of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And lastly, we need to remember God's wrath so that we have a fervent praise to God for delivering us from the wrath that is to come. In conclusion then, we do not need to apologize for God because he is a God of wrath. Because he has an intense anger for injustice and wickedness. Honestly, all of us should be angry about such things. And, and hear me, True love is never complacent when a loved one is mistreated. If we don't care, then we don't get angry. But God is a God of love, and that is why he is a God of wrath. That is why he gets angry about sin. And in his love, he has made a way possible for us through Jesus Christ. The price of wrath has been paid so you and I can be forgiven. So we don't have to apologize that we have a God who's a God of wrath. So let me ask this question. As you sit here this morning, is God's wrath still upon you? Because you have never trusted 
in the payment of Jesus' death in your place? I mean, if that's you, the Bible tells us there's two things that we need to do. That is that we need to repent and we need to believe. Repentance is to acknowledge, I can't do it. I am not good enough. I can't save myself. To repent is to acknowledge that there's nothing that I can do. All the good things are never going to be good enough. It's to acknowledge my rebellion against God with the desire to turn away from it. And in turning away from it, I turn towards God. I turn to Jesus Christ and I trust him as my rescuer from sin. And you realize that, that when that's all one motion, right? I am turning away from sin and I am turning to God. And you have to do that. that that's one thing that we do. We have to do both of those simultaneously. We turn to Christ and we trust in him as our rescuer from sin. It is believing that he died in my place. He's the perfect sacrifice so I can be forgiven. In my word to you, if you have never trusted in Jesus as your rescuer and your master today, I want to challenge you to do that. Romans 10, 13 says, call on the name of the Lord and you can be saved. And that is amazingly good news. Not just for this life, but for the next. And secondly, if you are a believer here today, realize this, you are no longer under God's wrath. Right? Romans 8, 1 there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, when you hear those words, they should cause you to rejoice and, and to worship. And perhaps you've forgotten the judgment that was upon you. But how glorious it is to be forgiven. Perhaps you've forgotten the horrific price that was upon you that was paid by Jesus so you could be redeemed and become his eternal child. So today, why not thank him? and praise him for his love and, and purpose that you want to live your life spending it right in obedience and expressing his love to him to god and to others and then lastly the wrath of god should give us urgency for our loved ones who are still under that judgment right we need to not be complacent about the loss but actively be praying for them and in, inviting them and investing them and sharing with them this good news that they don't have to be under this wrath anymore. Let's pray together. You can pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who is just, who is holy. And Lord, we, we understand that you express that with wrath. But God, we thank you that, that you, you loved us so much that you allowed your son Jesus to come. He willingly came, and, and he took the, the, the punishment that we deserve so we could be forgiven. Father, I pray for there's any in this room here, here this morning, Lord, that, that has never come to the place where they have repented and placed their trust in Jesus. I pray today would be the day that they would do that, they would trust in him. And Father, help us. Help us to have a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving for what you have done for us when we realize that the, the, the punishment that was upon us that we could never, ever repay. Thank you that you did, you took that. You paid it so we could be set free. God, I pray that that would cause us to have a greater love for you. And, and Father, I pray that that would help us, Lord, to even be motivated to want to go out and to serve you and to obey you and to tell others. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Well, in just a moment, we are going to be observing the Lord's Supper.
Um, this was given to believers by Jesus as, as a way for us to remember. To remember the wrath of God that we were upon that was put on Jesus and was paid on the cross. It was given us to us as a, as a reminder of the cost of sin so that we wouldn't be complacent. And so therefore, Paul gives this instruction. He says that, that when we, we partake, that we need to examine ourselves and we need to repent of any, any unconfessed sin. And, and quite honestly, this is a celebration, the fact that we are forgiven of sin. So if we have sin in our lives that we're not willing to repent of, then, then Paul is saying that we really can't celebrate and we can't participate in this. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to go ahead and take the, the, the bread. And I'm going to give you um, a couple of minutes just to, to spend some time in, in silent prayer and, and to just to spend some time and, 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 and to examine yourself and ask the guy to show you if there's anything there. And, and, and then in, in a minute or two, we'll come back and, and we'll participate together. So let's just take a moment to do that. bread represents the, the body of, of Jesus, and on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he, he took the, the bread, and he'd given thanks, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes here with the cup, just to spend some time praising God and thanking him that it's his blood that washes us clean. Let's take a couple minutes to do that. represents the blood of, of Christ. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do whenever you drink and in remembrance of me, for when you eat this bread and, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's participate together. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your son. 
Thank you, Father, that because of Christ that we not only can be forgiven, but, Lord, all the things that are true of Christ can be put to our account. Lord, that we can be made the righteousness of Christ. God, help us to believe this. Lord, help us to allow who we are in Christ to impact how we live. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to be under your wrath any longer. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm glad that you were able to be here this morning and, and trust that, that um, you're encouraged when you think about what Christ has done for us. Um, as you're dismissed, there, are, there is a, in, in, the, in the lobby, there's a box there for the Helping Hand Fund. This is a benevolence fund of our deacons. If you would, don't feel obligated to give to that, but if you would like to, to, to participate with that. So that's the one in the center, and then there are two offering um, boxes off to the side, and if you have your connection card, you can place that in there as well. So you are dismissed. <laughs>